0: The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping, problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating 10 years created by Carl Tsipras the, Start Change the Hub is about impact. 90%. The Hub is for everyone. Evening is my colleague Jennifer Edmund. She's the associate professor of digital humanities and director of strategic projects for the Faculty of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences uh, at Trinity. She's the co-director of the Trinity Centre for Digital Humanities, and she's the president of Daria, which is the European uh, research infrastructure for digital humanities. So you're very welcome, Jennifer. Brilliant. Thanks, Jane, and thanks everybody for tonight. Um, I hope you haven't had too many of these meetings today because there really is this question around Zoom fatigue. I mean, there's no question that technology in the course of the COVID uh, time has allowed us to continue to work, to learn, to connect, but it hasn't been a seamless transition in part because the technology wasn't ready for us, but largely because we weren't ready for it. Whenever a new technology comes in, we go through what's called an incanabular time. This is a word that goes back to printing. And it means that sometimes we try and do the old things with the new technology and it doesn't turn out very well. And the images and the models we have in our mind for how to use virtual meeting spaces, they're not great. They don't match what we have to hand. If you think about it, it's almost like looking at a at a television program or a Netflix movie, and there's no director. I'm not a trained actor. I don't quite know how to deliver well, and there's nobody focusing on my face when you need to focus on my face. So we thing called zoom fatigue and it's a lot about how our brain processes visual and audio information you can't read my verbal and my visual cues very well you can't read my body language. Your central vision might be a little confused because of all those little squares that have different people in them. Um, You're suffering probably from something called continuous partial attention, where you're getting drawn off into different places. And of course, you may even be looking at yourself, kind of fixing your hair while you're trying to be in a meeting. All of these things take us away from The goals we have for being in meetings, but at the same time, we know that the virtual meetings aren't going to go away, even when the virus does. Because even before this great experiment we found ourselves thrown into, We already were talking about carbon neutral and and non-carbon conferences and the fact that travel for conferences was something that wasn't as As democratic or as sustainable as we wanted our meetings and our societies to be. So how can we make virtual meetings better and how can we actually use this technology in a way that preserves the things we want and that we can do virtually, but actually allows us to focus in our face-to-face meetings in the future on the things we can only do face-to-face. So this for me, strangely enough, was a digital humanities question. Not just because we have a, a desire to extend into all sorts of places, but In the digital humanities, we have a number of things that really let us look at this question in a particular way. And I think actually that's one of the reasons why the Human Plus program is so exciting because it's harnessing this kind of humanities technology exchange. So what kinds of things did we draw on looking at this as a humanities problem? First of all, we have these things called the scholarly primitives, which is an approach we've used for about 20 years to break down scholarly work processes into component parts that we can then look at for their value. We also have the engagement of people coming from theater practice and backgrounds from the arts. And that's really actually crucial because there's no one who understands the importance of a live interaction as well as somebody who works within a theater and depends upon connections between actors, connections between an actor and an audience. And finally, we have this approach called critical making. Basically, what it means is that we learn while we build something, and then we analyze at the same time. And while we may be building any number of different kinds of artifacts, while we may be having any kind of certain design effect, we always look at them from a humanities perspective. So when I, like you, as president of this European research infrastructure, found myself with an annual event we had to delay, Um, we decided to take these assets we had and create something that we thought would be a little bit different. And we called it a virtual exchange event. We didn't call it a meeting. We didn't call it a conference. We didn't know what to call it, to be quite honest. And the goal was to take the scholarly primitives approach, look at what we needed and wanted from scholarly meetings of the meetings that we have, but I think this can apply to any kind of meeting, whether it's in a business or any other context a learning uh, exchange or anything like that. And what we tried to do is look at the challenges we were facing differently with this goal of being able to say, okay, that's something we can definitely do virtually. This is something that's missing. And it's interesting because we very quickly came to become very critical of some of the eco-conferencing literature because there's a lot of emphasis on formalizing things, documenting them, concretizing them, making them asynchronous. And uh, one quote I love is to scale networking so it doesn't rely on chance or alcohol. We really like chance and alcohol. That was a, a sort of a business guru's perspective. What we found when we broke the meetings down was that less than half of the activities that people were really looking for in meetings were actually about the information and the formal exchange. It was much more about um, the serendipitous, the unexpected, the personal, the things that were empathy-driven and the things that had to do with how we work in particular spaces, how our bodies move, how our bodies' movement in spaces actually helps us remember and process information, what we feel. So what we realized is that For us, our professional meetings are not just about building minds and careers and networks. They're really about how we we learn. They're really about building our brains and our identities, and we lose this at our peril. So we did a very different kind of meeting, and I think that Francesca has put the link to some of the assets associated with this meeting uh, in the chat if you want to take a look at the kinds of things we did. and really, it was about trying to take some of those goals of community and serendipity and find different ways to enliven them, other than just saying, right, we're all in a virtual space, let's look at each other and try and, try and connect. And I think we can extract some learnings here, and I, I think we can put them into, you know, if you want to have a good virtual meeting and if you ever want to have a great one. If you wanna have a good virtual meeting, and I think this Behind the Headlines series is a really great exemplar of what you need to do. And if you saw what goes on behind the scenes, you'd appreciate it even more. You don't want to make it long, keep it short. You can't do a day long meeting on Zoom. So, and vary the format. Uh, try and make sure that you're staying. For the Daria event, we stayed at two hours and we had a different format for every half hour. Second, make the ground rules crystal clear. If you want people to turn off their notifications so they're not distracted by other kinds of work, if you want them to mute their mics, if you want them to know where to chat, if you want them to raise their hands in a certain way, you have to tell them because every system they use, and I may use 10 different video conferencing systems in the course of a week, every system is just that little bit different. And also remind people to be kind because one of the things that happens is that the technology can frustrate people and there can be a sort of an angry relation and that's another reason for kind of my next role, which is to keep the tech simple especially if people aren't used to the tools um our theater practitioner talked about productive chaos you don't get productive chaos online you just get chaos you can't build from it because there's a very narrow la- rope ladder between you and the people you're talking to um so that fragility can read to frustration. It can really lead to cognitive overload. So make sure you rehearse, keep it simple and have people in the background to help people who might be frustrated and need kind of both technical and emotional support. So that's for the good meeting. If you want to go for the great meeting, first of all, think about serendipity. How can you help people to actually discover and learn and feel a part of this? You'll see in our Daria event, we had had a whole exhibition space where people could wander. There was no requirement to be there, but just a matter of This is a way people could um, uh, get themselves ready to think about the ideas we wanted to discuss. We also brought in some content from the registration as a part of the work we were looking at. Be careful of power dynamics. People who might be excluded in a face-to-face meeting will be even farther from you in a virtual one. Find ways to include the people who might be at one remove. Um, And finally, if you want something to happen, You have to approach it with intention and creativity. Your location can't do that for you. So you need to bring that excitement in a different way. Um, And this is work. And this is the work you're doing when you're not planning the conference dinner. So there's going to be things that you can do around random chats, around pub quizzes, around things that bring people to a kind of a social listening rather than an individual listening. Some people will hate it, but most people will love it or most people at least find that they were someplace memorable and something that helped them learn. Now, most people loved their diary event. I think one person didn't like it. And one of my favorite quotes was someone who said, it helped them to experience new ways to be in a digital space. So I hope maybe you can take some inspiration from it and find new ways for you and your groups to be together in virtual spaces. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Actually, that's great to hear. The uh, Hub is a uh, community. Manuscript, so and green cultures. Stamping governance towards the history of the Taimony Library. As well as being haired. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities created by Coral Center. Language changes. Control. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is about impact. And by the English language. The Hub is for everyone. And the rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 years.